0: Well, I haven't had a chance to speak with you each individually today, but I'm going to take a stab at how your week went this last week. (laughs) It was a week of emotional extremes for you. You either had a very high, high week or a very low, low week. A friend of mine on Thursday suggested to me that for many of us in the United States, politics has become our religion. And so a lot of us invested a lot of ourselves in the political outcome of the presidential election. Some of us even made doomsday predictions either before the election or after the election. And I think it's interesting because politics has taken, uh, taken this course in the United States. That for the religious among us, and that's everybody sitting here, we get hooked into that rhetoric. We get hooked by what's going on in politics. Jesus had a thing or two to say about this. The scripture passage that we have for this morning was actually selected for us months ago. And you could even make the argument that the scripture passage that we're looking at today was selected for us long before that. Because it's a lectionary passage. A few months ago, we decided to follow the lectionary between the 1st of November and Christmas here at this church. And so the lectionary is a calendar of scripture that has a three-year cycle that is followed by churches all over. And so churches all over are hearing this particular scripture passage today. It's Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 5 through 19 to you. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that it is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the temple in Jerusalem in the first century was a magnificent site. In the year 19 B.C., A rebuilding project was begun by King Herod that more than doubled the size of the temple. And this work of making the temple grand, expanding the outer court, and adding decoration, this construction continued until the year 64. So it started in 19 B.C. and it continued until 64. So in Jesus' lifetime, knowledge of the Jerusalem temple and its elaborate beauty was widespread. Jewish historian Josephus wrote this about the temple in that time. He said, because of unlimited funds and popular enthusiasm, the undertakings of this project were beyond belief. Stones used in the building were 60 feet long. Pillars Inside of the temple were 38 feet high, cut from single blocks of the widest marble. The temple mount was 20 stories high. One stone recovered by archaeologists from the temple mount weighed 643 metric tons. The gates of the holy area and the sanctuary in the middle of the temple were overlaid with gold and silver and the most valuable metal of the time, Corinthian bronze. Josephus wrote this. It struck the beholder's eye. And Magnitsky told me this week, you know, you'd probably need sunglasses to look at it in the daylight. It was a sight to behold. And yet. In the year 70, Roman armies conquer and destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And they cart off many of the valuable possessions inside of that temple, the things that were used to decorate and the things that were used for worship. And they parade them in a triumphal procession into Rome in the year 71. So I want to suggest to you this morning that really, in all these years, not much has changed. We still build temples today. Anything that we construct with stones or with ideology or with personality, and we say, that is it. That is the place where God resides, and I'm going to invest all that I have In that, because that's where God is, that place or that ideology that I can control or at least predict, that's where I have God cornered. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 55 that the Lord declares this to us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The destruction of the temple is a reminder to us that no one houses the Lord. Anything that we can construct as a place for God to dwell is just simply too small. Josephus tells us that there were some rules about who could go where in the temple. Only priests who were without blemish, that meant without physical defects, could dress in fine linen and approach the altar in the sanctuary. Men who were not thoroughly sanctified were not admitted into the inner courts of the temple. And there was an area that was walled off for the women and they were not to go beyond the dividing wall If you suffered from leprosy or other diseases, you couldn't even enter the city of Jerusalem at all, let alone the temple. It's no wonder to me that in this passage, Jesus turns to his followers and he says, these stones will come down. These walls that glorify some and leave out others are not my way. Daryl taught the story of Zacchaeus a couple of weeks ago, and he reminded us that it was especially important to Luke, and that's where our passage comes from today. It was especially important to Luke as he reflected on the nature of the good news to point out that Jesus included all of those who were left out. He welcomed and he ate with those that the church leaders had designated as sinners or as unclean. My favorite line in the commentaries that I looked at for today about this passage is this If Jesus is right, the temple is wrong. If Jesus is right about who he is and who God is and what God's ways are, then the temple is wrong. We all build temples around what we consider or what we designate to be good. And when we build a temple, this is where we place our hope. We put our hope in that place or on that person or on that idea. I may or may not have put my hope on a temple called Kyle Field in College Station, Texas. I may or may not have put my hope on a Bible teacher or Bible teacher's That I believe every word that comes from their mouth is truth. And in my mind, I dress them up in fine linen and only allow them to be the chief priests. I may or may not have visited temples in Chicago called Willow Creek. In California called Bethel and Saddleback. I do like to go to temple building. And not only do I like to build temples, but I like to decorate them too. (laughs) But here's what I've noticed about God. When I have made a change in my life, God is faithful and God is present in that change in a new way. So that each time that I've crossed a milestone in my life, A temple behind me falls down, and God shows up in a new way. So when I went to college, that temple from high school, that place where I found God, that campfire uh, at summer camp was no longer significant to me, but that there were new faces and new places and new ways that God showed up. That was true when I started full-time work. It was true when we started a family. Uh, It's true at each milestone that temples get knocked down and God has the ability to show up in a new way. And so I think our question this morning, the question that we need to consider is, who do we trust? Where do we place this hope? Do we trust a single personality, a particular doctrine or a particular building? Or do we trust in the living God? Who operates without restraints. The psalmist instructs in at least two places in the Psalms. That we are not to trust in kings, armies, warriors, chariots, or horses. But we are to trust in Yahweh and his unfailing love. We know. We know this about God. That God moves in very loving and honoring and freedom-giving ways. We just can't name the specifics. The specifics for this afternoon or for tomorrow. We are not fortune tellers. And that's okay. Because when the disciples ask Jesus in this passage, when? When is this all going to happen? His answer is basically, it's not for you to know. The end will not follow immediately, is what he says. But things are not going to be easy. Things are not easy when temples come down. Jesus talks about all that the disciples must persevere through. It's a long list. Wars and insurrections and earthquakes and famine and plague and arrest and persecution and prison. So there are temples that must come down. The temple of physical safety, natural beauty, material prosperity. All of these temples will come down for the disciples. Anyone who tells you that to follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, God will make your life easy. Either hasn't lived long enough or they haven't read this text. What is surprising to me is that Jesus' instruction to the disciples is not simply just hang out, suffer through, just wait it out, I'll be back. In verse 13, Jesus says this. All of these temples are going to be destroyed, and this will give you an opportunity to testify. Jesus' instruction to the disciples is that in this most difficult of circumstances, they are to tell their gospel story. They are to tell the story of their good news Don't prepare your defense in advance, he says, but I'm going to give you words and wisdom. So which is better? Which is better? Is it better when someone approaches you with a Jesus tract and a sales pitch? Or is it better when someone shares with you from the heart how they persevered through a difficult time with the help of their faith? In my humble opinion, one of those is a lot more valuable than the other. And maybe it's because God was himself a suffering servant. When we tell stories of perseverance, something of the truth can't help but shine through. One of the best to- testimonies I've ever read was by a man named Gerald Sitzer. He lost his mother his wife, and his daughter in a car accident where he was driving and the family car was hit by a drunk driver. This is what he wrote a few years later. I have changed inwardly. The accident transformed me as a person. In the months following the accident, I spent many hours pondering life and I discovered that much of my life was ugly. I saw selfishness and ambition and, impatience, and I started to pray to the very God that I had dared to trust, inviting him to do whatever was necessary to change my life. I have been changed as a father. My three children really like each other. God has knit our family together and the bonds run deep. It's not the family that I would have chosen. I still wish that there were six of us with an occasional visit from grandma. But ours is a good family all the same. My children feel blessed, as do I. We are witnessing a miracle. The accident remains a horrible experience that did great damage to us and to so many other people. It will remain a very bad chapter. But the whole of our lives is becoming what appears to be a very good book. Last week, I mentioned my very favorite Dallas Willard quote. He taught on several occasions that the gospel means that the universe is a perfectly safe place to be. The universe is a perfectly safe place for the whole of our souls. Jesus was right about the destruction of the temple. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. He was right about the significance of perseverance. There is something in perseverance that reveals the great truth of our faith. Could he also be right about the very last line in this passage today? By your endurance, you will gain your soul. At the end of his life, Dallas Willard had pancreatic cancer. It was an especially devastating disease. Friends who were in the room with him when he died said that he mumbled four words Thank you. Thank you. Was he talking to his friends and his family? They don't think so. I don't think so either. I choose to think that Willard experienced exactly what Jesus was describing to his disciples. Under the safety of the God of the universe, you will persevere. And in the end, you gain your soul. Will you pray with me? Most loving and merciful God, it is true that you want good things for us. Those good things those best things that are beyond security and prosperity. Hope is such a valuable commodity. Would you remind us not to misuse it? Break down those barriers that we put up so that we would experience the flow of your Holy Spirit. Allow us to see each other with compassion and to hold your great mystery loosely. Amen.